0: So today we're looking at Acts 19. Like I said, it's one of the most interesting uh, passages in the New Testament. There are lots of them. Um, But we're going to be looking at Acts 19, verse 11. I've titled my message today, actually. I normally don't, um, just for lack of creativity. But I'm going to call it Disciples and Decoys. Disciples and Decoys. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and we're going to go through verse 17. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. God, I believe that you want to make us into a body of disciples, not just people who attend church. I ask that you would open our hearts to understand what it is that you're doing in us so that you can move through us according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a couple of of quick notes Um, It says right off the top in verse 11 that God was doing extraordinary things through Paul. And it's important to recognize that it wasn't Paul who was doing the extraordinary things. It was God working through him. And Paul was simply a vessel for God to do extraordinary things, right? It's easy to get distracted by the person whom God is using and miss the fact that God is doing it. You, you experience great worship, and it's like, man, that person is amazing. No, no, God, using that person is amazing. You hear about a miracle, or you hear about Pastor Duke, I mean, he died and came back to life, right, basically? And it's like, man, doctors are amazing. It's like, yeah, the, the God that created the world so that doctors can do their job is even more amazing. Right? I don't want to take anything away from the training that these doctors had and the skill sets that they had, but God designed things in such a way that if we studied the human body, we can even cooperate with it and agree with it. And God was certainly sovereign in that room, and He was certainly um, giving wisdom and giving strength to not only the doctors, but strength to Pastor Duke. I also want to say that it's just a little bit weird that his handkerchiefs were being used to heal people. <laughs> can you imagine? Like if I gave you my handkerchief and I was like, go, go rub this on someone sick. (laughs) That'd just be kind of weird. And these guys showed up and they tried to do what they saw Paul doing. And it went so badly that they got whooped to the point of being wounded and naked. That's a beating. (laughs) I mean, I saw some fights in high school, but nothing like that to overtake seven young men and to whoop them that bad? I mean, these guys were, you know, they brought a knife to a gunfight. So those are just the situations. And so doesn't it make you wonder what was the difference between Paul and the difference between these sons? That Paul was able to come and God was doing these miraculous things through him and these seven men came and they got whooped. What's the difference and what's the gap? I would say that the primary difference is that Paul was a disciple. And he was empowered by God and had authority in the Holy Spirit because of the relationship that he had with Jesus. And these seven sons, all they could do is talk about somebody else's relationship with God. And that's all the difference in the world. Paul was a disciple and they were a decoy. They looked, they said all the right things, they did all the right things on the surface, they tried all the right things, but nothing happened. Have you ever done that before? Maybe at work or something else, you say, you know, you hear somebody say something and you're like, oh, I'll just repeat that next time. It works, right? And you try it and it doesn't work, right? No? I know one time uh, Pastor Dehan was praying over someone I'll just be real vulnerable. Pastor Dehan, he was with us for a couple of years. He's planted a church in LA, an amazing church. Pastor Dehan was praying over someone, and I just just, felt God moving so deeply and healing this person. And everybody was crying. Pastor Dehan was crying. I was crying. They were crying. I was like, this is amazing. And so, next time somebody came to me with a similar problem, I tried to pray the same prayer that (laughs) that Dehan had. And I'm like, nobody's crying yet. (laughs) Like, God, I don't feel your pleasure yet. Where's the healing, God? I don't even understand. You know, and I was trying to follow a form instead of, instead of tapping into the relationship with Jesus, instead of believing God to do a thing in a moment, I thought the prayer or the words were going to do a thing in a moment. And so, um, I've done that certainly never to that point that I got, they, they didn't beat me up. Luckily, it was probably like a nice try, pastor. Like, okay. But he had authority that stemmed from his relationship with Jesus. Now, this idea about a disciple, there are two words in the New Testament that are used for disciple that that I wanted to bring up to our attention. And if you could put them up on the screen. It's basically, one of them is a noun and one of them is a verb. Um, I'd pronounce it, but I don't want to show off. Can you put them up? Do you have them? No? That's okay. I'm really not going to say it because I'll butcher it. I just wanted you to see it. That there are two different words. One is a noun and one is a verb. A disciple is a learner or a pupil. It's the first word. It's a noun. It's a description of a person. It's a person, place, or thing, right? A noun. And the second word is a verb. And it means to disciple someone, to train someone, to, to, to learn someone, to teach someone. And um, there's, there's a, it, that difference matters, because a disciple is someone whose whose orientation is to learn and is to grow and is to be instructed somebody can teach all day long but unless you have the the heart of a disciple you won't learn you with me like you can't be discipled like i can't just disciple you if you're not a disciple god can't disciple you unless you're a disciple Right? Sometimes I think we get caught on the verb of, being, of discipling. Like, we need to disciple people. And it's like, what does that even mean? Teach them what? Right? Or then we spend all this time like throwing things at people and we're like, I'm discipling you with information. <laughs> like, here's some Greek words. <laughs> Memorize them. It's a noun and a verb. You could walk out of here going, thanks for the noun and verb, buddy. But I, like what value does that have for my life, right? If, if I'm just throwing stuff at you, if we're not oriented to be disciples, if we're not oriented to learn, if we're not oriented to be trained, then we're not going to, regardless of how good the teaching is. A good disciple can even learn through bad teaching. <laughs> right? Be like, don't do that. Let's, let's keep going. So when you're a disciple, I think the way that I want to define being a disciple is you take on the values and you take on the priorities and you take on the passion of the person who you're following. And as Christians, uh, there should be, no, there absolutely must be something in us that reflects the values and the priorities of Jesus. Yeah as a congregation there sh- there should be and and there should be values that we hold to as a congregation and that we start to walk in and there's a similarity in our values and there's a similarity in our passion and there's a similarity in our pursuit of God and there's a similarity in in how we walk a disciple takes on not just the 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 actions of his or her his or her mentor or leader or teacher but they take on their even their quirks they take on, what they think about and how they think about what they think about. The account where Peter gets out of the boat, right, and walks on water. To the Jewish mind, there were a whole bunch of disciples in that boat, but only one of them got out and tried to walk on water. We read it and we're like, that's amazing. Peter tried to get out and, and walk on water. And we're like, I hope I can be, you know, that one, and be extraordinary. But to the Jewish mind, to get out and walk on water like your teacher, that wasn't the extraordinary thing. The extraordinary thing would have been that everybody else stayed in the boat. If I'm, if I'm, uh, no, that's a bad example. (laughs) I was going to start talking about PETA. Like if I'm, if I'm with PETA, you know, the animal people. I'm not going to do it. But you adopt their purpose and their priorities and their values as your own, and you begin to walk in it. There's a young man I was, I was mentoring for a number of years. I led him to Christ on the campus of Nova Loudon, just right here around the corner. And I use really colorful language and really intense language, obviously. And I'm like, God will mess up your life, you know? And he'll wreck you. And, and so he got up and shared a testimony for the first time. And he got up and he's like, God destroyed my life! You know? And I'm like, oh no! <laughs> He, he took on my quirks, but it sounded like, so when he got down, everybody's like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want that God. <laughs> like, that's what Jesus does. You know, like, it's a miracle anybody ever came back, you know, and it was like, you pick up the quirks of the people who you're being taught by or trained by, but the, the benefits of that are that you capture the, the heart of that person as well. As disciples of Jesus, we follow follow men, but we don't just follow men for men. We follow men to get to Christ. The men who have discipled me in my life have showed me the character and the values and the person of Christ in such a way that I want to be like Jesus. It's well documented. I talk about it often, about how for a long time I tried to be Pastor Brett Fuller. He's the the senior pastor and he preaches in our Chantilly location. He's uh, a mid-50s African-American male and wears a bow tie. In his dynamic range, he's super self-controlled and super disciplined at everything. And when I tried to be him, I died (laughs) a lot on the inside. But it wasn't Pastor Brett's desire, nor was it God's desire that I be a mini Pastor Brett. The desire is that I would, I would be David who's chasing after Jesus and following the heart of the Father in everything that I do, not trying to act like Pastor Brett in everything that I do. If I tried to sit on a stool today and wear a bow tie, it would just be awkward. <laughs> I think it's too easy, especially in our culture today, to boil church down to coming on Sunday morning. And if we're feeling extra, like extra committed, we might go to a conference or listen to a podcast or, you know, put a couple of extra bucks in the offering. But that's not the disciples. That's Those don't reflect the values or the heart or the passion of Jesus. Right? We, can, we can look at the Gospels and we can see the heart, of, the heart of God. We can see the expression of the Father through the life of Jesus. And you see the things that he prioritized. You see in the Sermon on the Mount how he's like, every value that you hold, I want to put it on its head. That those that are weaker are actually going to be strong. Those who are meek will actually inherit the earth. Those who are strong in their own sight aren't going to conquer and win everything. They're going to lose. And he makes all these promises to the people that we otherwise would push down and ignore and everything else. And so Paul had this extraordinary power because he was a disciple. He had a relationship with Jesus. But Paul wasn't always that guy. And so for just a couple moments, I want to talk about the life of Paul. I want to look at his conversion. That's in Acts chapter 9. Paul was actually, his, his, his given name, his given Jewish name was Saul. And Paul, Saul was actually, he was a disciple. He was always a disciple. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple in the Pharisees' ranks. And he came up and he was trained to be the cream of the crop Pharisee. He was going to be the greatest Jewish leader that had ever lived. And it was going to be his personal mission to make sure that, that God was worshipped in accordance with the traditions and customs of that time. And so Saul was 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 furious at the Christian church and set out to murder and imprison Christians who were worshiping Jesus because it was a heretical thing to say that Jesus was God. And so these, these Christians are running around and Paul is terrorizing them. The best example, he was like ISIS. He was murdering people for their faith in Christ and that alone and telling people to renounce it. And if they didn't renounce, you went to jail or you were killed or you lost your job or you lost your standing. And you were stripped down by him. And this is what he was trained to do. This, is, this was his passion because he was a disciple. And he's going on the road to Damascus. He's going to Damascus and he's going and he's got these, uh, what, do, what do people take when you're going to arrest people? Warrant? Effectively a warrant, right? Like I don't have a lot of, it's like lost all my street cred, all right? <laughs> like, you've never had any. He's going, with, he's going with this warrant and he's going and he's going to imprison and he's going to destroy the church in Damascus. And he's going and God encounters him on this road and knocks him to the ground and speaks to him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, whoa. He has this moment with Jesus where he gets knocked down and this God who he's been pushing against Jesus, who he's been pushing against him, and attacking and attacking and attacking and imprisoning his people. He's saying, what are you thinking, Saul? Saul says, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. When he was persecuting Jesus' people, he was persecuting Jesus says, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. So at this moment, he's got scales on his eyes and he's, he's got no choice but to rise and go to the city knowing that his plans have changed. <laughs> you ever had a moment where you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that your plans had to change? So Paul is going into the city where Saul is going into the city. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And God talked to Ananias and he said, hey, you know that guy Saul? He's like, yeah, you mean the murderer, the guy who's destroying the church, the guy who's putting everybody in jail, with the guy everybody's terrified of? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Uh, I need you to go to him. I actually read an article in the newspaper uh, or, you know, right, newspaper online the other day. The Cantor of Baghdad, he holds a position in the Catholic Church. This guy was like, he's been in different areas at different times. And um, he's found that inviting his enemies to dinner has always been a way to disarm the disagreement. And so he invites people over to dinner. So this guy's in Baghdad and he's like, I'm going to invite ISIS leadership over for dinner. So the cantor of Baghdad invited the ISIS leadership over to dinner with an email. Like, I don't know where you get their email address. <laughs> but but they, they reply, and they're like, oh, we'll come over to dinner, but we'll behead you if we come. So he said, never mind. And in the, in the interview, he's laughing about how like, outrageous that is. And he's like, that's crazy. I wanted to have them over for dinner, and they want to behead me. But this is the position that Ananias was in. God, you want me to do what? Can I just send an email? <laughs> so Ananias goes. And, um, and he sees Saul. Ananias departed immediately after God told him to. And in verse 17, you see Ananias talking to Saul. He says, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, sent me to you so that you, regain, you may gain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Paul had been a disciple of the Pharisees his entire life. And he grew up to be the penultimate Pharisee. He had the lineage, the heritage, the training, the traditions. He was the man. And in this moment, this man who had no standing, in a moment, this guy who would otherwise be completely anonymous to all of us, except for scripture, came to him and brought healing to him. It's amazing that God went so far as to impact Saul, knock him down, change the course of his life. But it was in community that everything came into line. He didn't just have that moment with Saul and say, you've got all the training, now that you know me, go and do your ministry. He's like, let me send you to a man who you don't even know so that you can experience the true power of God. This is how his ministry starts. This is how his life with Christ started. So he goes, Ananias comes up to him, the scales fell off his eyes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was baptized, his mission has changed. And none of that would have been possible without community. None of it. And because Paul was a disciple, he was oriented to get training from someone who knew more than him. The impartation to the most learned man came from a man we don't even know his educational status. We don't know anything about Ananias. But he had the Spirit of God on him. Who's the Saul in your life? I love in in verse uh, 15... One of the things that, you know, Ananias is like, he's an evil dude, Jesus. And Jesus is like, he's a chosen instrument for me to carry my name to the Gentiles. There's a chance that that person who's hostile to you in your workplace is actually someone who God wants to use to advance the gospel in your workplace. There's a chance that the neighbor who's hostile to your invitation to church is actually somebody that God wants to reach for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel in the community. was always a disciple but now he'd be a disciple of Jesus now he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the power of God and take on the values of Jesus and he took on the priorities of Jesus and he took on the life and the ministry of Jesus it's too easy to To be a Christian and try and leverage our Christianity for our own mission and our own purpose. There was a time where saying you were a Christian would be helpful for you in the workplace and would be helpful for you in in a political run or be helpful for you in your community. And so people would falsely take the name of Christian to advance themselves. But those same people where now it's not the same benefit would deny it. But the answer of a disciple wouldn't have changed from 20 years ago to today to 20 years from now. Because the disciples take on the value of Jesus. Now we've got some values as a church, and I'm actually going to use the city to communicate some of these values over the next couple weeks. And I, and I I want to talk about our values so that we can start to come in line with one another. The first one I'm going to write about is lordship. That Jesus is Lord in Christ. That He's sovereign over all things. That He's overseeing and holds in His hands the expanse of the universe. But also He's to be followed and revered as a King in our own personal lives. That we obey God because He's Lord, because He's King, because He is, He is sovereign. And I'll define what those, is, what those are and we'll talk about what it means to follow him. And then we'll, we'll, you know, each week we'll, we'll pick, I'll pick a different one and we'll talk about these different values. But the hope is that as we read these, we can start to bring these into our lives. Now the thing about lordship, we obey. Our salvation isn't dependent on, on how perfectly we follow. It's dependent on the grace and the mercy of God. But the grace and mercy of God does empower us to obey. Does that make sense? It's not our good work that allows us to be saved, but we are saved to good work. Right? That might only make sense if you've grown up in church, but it's helpful. Our relationship isn't just with God, and that's, I think, what God is showing us in the life of Saul. He gets knocked down by God, he gets impacted by God, but he needed men. And so, much in the same way, one Lego is just kind of a waste of a Lego, a waste of plastic one chip is the waste of a potato (laughs) yeah who wants one potato chip who wants one lego potato chips are terrible i can't figure out how to make that out (laughs) i can't figure out how to make that work but legos connect and saul was then connected to god but it was incomplete without connecting to man and as we connect to God, he'll connect us to one another. And he does, and it's beautiful, and it's confusing, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's frustrating. Especially in a congregation like ours. Where it's like, I don't like that song. Oh, this song's okay. I didn't like that other song. And we're bringing in all these different traditions. I got news for you. I want to bring in more traditions. Like, so we got this white-black thing going, and that's pretty cool. Love it. It makes me happy. Right? <laughs> But, you know, our community isn't just white and black, right? Exactly. Right? Like, if we, we have Hispanics and Asian and I know India is a part of Asia, but it's different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does that offend Indians? Does that offend to say that it's different than Asia? Is that good or bad? It's fine? Can an Indian tell me that it's fine? <laughs> it's fine. Thank you. You know, like, <laughs> some, <laughs> we're like, no, they like that. They, they like it when we, well, they like it when we call them that. Gosh, I hate podcasts. <laughs> I'll just be awkward for everybody. How's that? But if we're going to build multi-ethnic, if we're going to build according to the pattern of God, we're going to have to depend on us connecting to God and he'll connect us to one another. Without him, we're incomplete. And without us, we're incomplete. And God used the man who was going to write, not in, not in words, but in letters. Paul wrote the epistles. And he expressed the heart of God to bring together Jews and Gentiles. He's like, it's not just a monochromatic God thing. I want everybody. I want everybody worshiping together. I want heaven to be white and black and, and red and whatever other colors are in that song. Right? Right? <laughs> Jesus loves the little children yeah so my kids just start saying all the colors they know and so I don't remember the, the words but he wants <laughs> you're singing the song now come back we gotta, we gotta stop, we gotta land um, a, a Lego by itself is, is just you know a frustrating pain in the foot waiting to happen Don't just float out there by yourself. It's my hope, it's my desire that we would encounter God. And then we would be added to people. And then we would have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our ministry so that people are healed when they come into contact with us, so that hearts are mended, so that minds are awakened to the reality of the gospel. So that relationships are restored, healing can come, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's the heart of God, and those are His priorities. Jesus introduced His ministry this way, and then I'll. Then I want to close. Isaiah sixty-one is a um, is a prophecy about Jesus, and Jesus introduces His ministry in the temple by quoting this. So you can imagine, everybody's imagining, everybody's expecting this Messiah to come and fulfill a certain thing. These are the Jewish leaders, right? They're in the temple. It's people who knew what was coming. And Jesus stands up and he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted So that he may be glorified. They will build up the ancient ruins. They will raise up former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend to your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat with the wealth of nations in your glory, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have an everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them recompense. I will make, them an ever, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them and they are an offspring of the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul, my soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robe of righteousness as a, bro- as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and a garden causes what is sown to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. This is how Jesus introduced his ministry. And the accounts of the gospel illustrate him fulfilling this prophecy in their midst. And then the book of Acts shows us his disciples carrying the same values and the same mission and the same purpose to all the world. I hope, I pray that we'll do the same. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you've chosen us, we didn't choose you. You call us and draw us to yourself because you have a plan and a purpose for us.